Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SOP. I am Ingrid, one of your hosts. And I am Ashanti, the other host. <laughs> yeah, buddy. So we're just doing this thing a thing, you know, where we like flip-flop and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So my girl Ashanti and I were actually prepping for this recording and we were starting to discuss our ability to be involved in research because I am, as you know from the last episode, a huge, huge advocate at this point for us to figure out how individual SLPs get more data into the room so that they can make effective changes in business models, because that is the only way that we're going to make any type of modification here is how can we justify our decisions to make different choices um, for our patients than what is given to us when we walk in, like 90% productivity for SLPs. What are we doing to say that's actually not going to be effective in providing um, appropriate or adequate care for patients? How are we moving to make these solutions occur? So um, Ashanti and I were kind of discussing it and I was like, oh my gosh, we need to start recording. Let's go. (laughs) Let's not waste this discussion. So we're now in this place because we're a solutions-based organization or business, whatever, podcast, however you want to look at it, is the focus is solutions-based, right? So that's my, my thing. That's my big per- point of view. It's how do we get ourselves out of just complaining about it and, and into a place of changing it? So um, I was thinking about my experience at the University of Central Florida, I had one research class. And Ashanti, I believe you said the same? Yes, just one. (laughs) Boy. So we were like, okay, the importance of research when it comes to reimbursement is what shapes occupational and physical therapy. It's the reason why there's like three, four to one sometimes, or you'll see like a gazillion PTs, a gazillion OTs, uh, Oda, uh, CODAs, PTAs also present, and then the lone SLP. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the environment that I was in, I was working in a queue at one, uh, a level one trauma center. And there was maybe two acute therapists to probably like 10 physical therapists that were in the acute side. Yeah, that was my experience too in um, the different uh, SNF contracts that I worked with. Um, I usually was the only SLP. If not, there was one other or it was myself and the PRN. And I think that's really unacceptable. (laughs) I do feel as though because we have such high productivity expectations for PT, OT, and speech, um, or being, you know, present for students with the high caseloads. Because of all of that, um, we have a hard time really doing what we feel is optimal from what we learned in graduate school. In graduate school, and I don't know any graduate programs that sit there and go, okay, let's do group therapy. I just, 
don't recall that being part of anything I experienced other than when I was in the aphasia house, which I loved. I was there from the very, you know, infancy, beginning, whatever, with Dr. Uh, Janet Whiteside, who is dope. Beer, beer, beer. Love her. <laughs> Uh, and who taught me that a hippocampus could be considered an Oreo. Like, I just, hello, really? Hippocampus, Oreo, dope. <laughs> I just, um, I learned about group adult therapy or kind of like, you know, getting together with people that have the same deficits post diagnosis, post-acuteness, all that stuff. That's when I kind of got an idea about group therapy, but they will do group therapy mad early in the school system. They're just like, okay, everybody's doing groups. Let's just get groups going. And yes. you sit back and you go, mm, that was not actually my education. I learned to provide therapy in individual spaces. Correct. If I am taught to give therapy in individual spaces and now you're telling me in my work environment that I need to do groups, I don't know how is number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, what is the efficacy of it? Correct. Now, the there's also the interesting fact that now with COVID, you know, and maybe this was, you know, happening beforehand, but I would try to avoid it at all costs. But now you have mixed groups. You have groups where there are children working on language and children working on Arctic, um, you know, disorder. And so how, even, even in that, how are you trying to be as effective as possible in that 20 to 30 minute session with those children? Mm. Because that's not what you get in graduate school, right? Not at all. In graduate school, at least when I was there, and it's, you know, it, it, that was many moons ago, um, I had one child at a time. That's what I was trained. <laughs> that's how I was trained for an entire hour. That I had plenty of time to build my lesson plan. Like I had days. Yeah. And I did not get taught how to navigate what it is to be in the work environment, which is fine. I don't need my program to do that. Maybe my CF and my CF supervisor needs to help me navigate this so that I can become proficient. But if we find that there's a gap between how we operate within the schools of our own education and what is actually being applied in the workforce, and we see this gap, what do we do about this gap? How do we put ourselves in a space where we're thinking to ourselves, the reason I was educated in individualized care is because that's optimal according to a lot of the science and speech language pathology. It's done in that manner. It's individualized analysis. Right. How am I um, going about studying what groups and group intervention is doing? Um, I don't know the science there. I think maybe the informed SLP might be a good place for me to jump into to see if there's any type of education there that gives me some insight into the efficacy of uh, group therapy for young children, for adults, for any setting that is encouraging or pushing this. And how do you cherry pick who belongs in what? And how do you get yourself to the place where other people respect what you're saying about it. So this is the new dance I'm trying to get SLPs to be educated and understanding of. 
how do I get myself to be in the room and say, I don't think that this is appropriate for patient care and can provide the support to say, this is why. Um, one way or the other, however they want to navigate it. Um, Ayala on the last episode was talking like individual days. Even mm-hmm. there are some days where, you know, keeping a child in a group environment is better. Or keeping them in the classroom is better versus doing individual those things are also there, but you have to you have to show where those clinical decisions are coming from, and that needs to be the direction of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know how um, I can encourage or support uh, SLPs to do that because as I listen to some of the people within our profession, they're not really comfortable with pushback. A lot of people aren't. Um, I think it is a muscle that needs to be exercised. <laughs> um, what hap- What tends to happen is you get a little bit of pushback and typically the SLP, you know, being the usually the peacekeeper that, that they are will just throw their hands in the air and say, okay, well, I tried and they go about their business. Um, so it's it's like anything. If you want to see the change, you have to keep on it. You have to keep trying. You have to keep complaining. And you have to keep, in essence, demanding that things change. But you want to do it in a way that doesn't sound annoying. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you also want to go in with evidence, with science, with sound um, information that supports what it is that you are saying or what it is that you're requesting. Um, you can't just willy nilly go in, you know, because you think it's a good idea. No, that's, that's the best way to get that rejection. (laughs) That's the best way to get that pushback. Absolutely. The biggest thing that I keep considering is that we do need to figure out ways to say, okay, guys, I'm not coming in here being emotional about this. And I'm not just making a best guess. I actually have something that shows that this is, uh, it's, you can't argue this point mm-hmm. because it's scientifically proven. And, but we can sometimes do that within our own individual case studies, which is why I said, guys, be your own scientist in the room. Please, please do your own data collection. Please do comparison and contrasting on similar patients. Mm-hmm. Please, or, or clients or students, please figure out ways to make your environment better. Because if you do it, you will help the next clinician. You will help all of the discipline get more respect because you have made the decision to say, I'm not just fucking around. <laughs> right. I'm actually doing shit that makes a difference in people's lives. And I can show it based on what I'm collecting in data, based on what I'm collecting in observational, and based on the fact that I'm an educated master's degree individual or even a bachelor's degree individual. There are SLPs that are out there doing that. SLPAs are not, unfortunately, in that space for me because of the fact that they are not evaluators. They cannot assess the situation properly. Mm-hmm. So does have to come from either the bachelor degree level SLP that may not necessarily have everything 
um, but enough to be respected in the room. But the master's degree SLPs, listen, pulling you out to carpet. Come on now. Mm -hmm. You got it. You have everything you need to sit there and figure it out. But I do think emphasizing the importance of research, which I did not get when I was in graduate school, is the missing link. Mm -hmm. Because the research of our science is what affects Congress, is what affects legislation, is what, yes, advocacy and presence, of course, but we're walking into, and I'm not even going to lie, a man's world when we want to talk about money. Yes. Being reimbursed. Yes. Men do not care about our feelings. Correct. <laughs> but I but I also want to bring up the point that uh, we had touched on before you, before you started recording is that when a PT records their data, it is very visible. It is highly visible as to what it is they're recording data on. This patient can walk this many feet. This patient can do this, this, and it's highly visible. Whereas the things that we collect data on are not always as obvious or as visible. And so when it comes to entering into that space where you're trying to convince others that are not at the same educational level or at the same expertise level as we are, we're having to kind of teach them, this is the importance, this is what I'm seeing, and this is how we work on it. This is why we need this many minutes, or this is why this uh, student or client needs to be seen on an individual basis instead of in a group. Um, you know, it's there's a lot more that we have to explain that's not as easily understood as just a person being able to, um, you know, walk this many feet or stand unassisted or, you know, all the other things that, that the PTs help their um, patients and clients do. We do have ambiguity because of the fact that there is some, some variation. Like, how do you really determine someone's uh, appropriateness in language communication, something that's really fluid? Because communication, a good majority of it, nonverbal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you measure that? We're looking at pragmatics like, hey, let's just, you know, put pragmatics in appropriate space. But if I go to a different country, those pragmatics are really different there. Right, right. <laughs> um, I think the idea that we're in circumstances where we're sitting here, like navigating, moving in something that is not universal globally, like pragmatics, language, communication mm -hmm. it varies from culture to culture and we're a multicultural country mm, we yes really, <clears throat> we really have a hard time we yes really that that's the other huge facet of this is from one human to another can you stand can you walk yes or no but then when it comes to what we work on from one human to another can you speak can you formulate your thoughts can you respond within so many seconds? Can you, you know, it's, it's not as easy. It's not as black and white uh, to, you know, use that terminology. You're a thousand percent accurate in that. It is not as clear cut, but there is an importance to individualized experiences of saying, I improved this person for their personal goals. Absolutely. And that's what I, mm, 
That's what I keep looking at. That's what I keep seeing. That's what I keep focused on. And that's the reason why I'm saying, please, guys, everybody link up. Let's all do research together as individuals in this, because it is very much a clear situation when, when you can do a simple task of get up and go six minutes. That's the PT test for ambulation. And when I see that, I'm like, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I can't even use a standardized test in the acute hospital. Right, right. I can't. Because we, we have to factor in who was this, who was that test normed for? That and the fact that I don't have a lot of time. Right, right. I need to cover speech. I need to cover voice. I need to cover language. I need to cover cognition. And I need to cover dysphagia in my assessment while I'm sitting with you. So, (laughs) I mean, and I have like eight of you after you. So (laughs) I'm going to piece together from the WAB, from the CLQT, from, I'm going to piece it together to the best of my ability. To, to my capacity, the flu hardy, like, let's go ahead and just pull all this shit from all these assessments and then make piecemeal something that makes sense and hope that I'm intervening in a way that makes sense for you in the acute setting. Pediatrics, right. a little different in the acute setting. I don't actually know if they use standardized tests in acute settings. I do not think they do, though because it's really different in the hospital. When you're Mm -hmm. in that hospital setting, it literally is a scenario where you're down and dirty. You're getting groovy. You know there's a problem and you're just going in like a new scientist. When it's school systems, you get an overwhelming caseload. I'm assuming that there are some serious challenges and being able to do standardized tests, especially when they don't offer that to you, when you're not, you know, when they might, copy have you photocopy or whatever you may not have even the normative data to compare it to and then when the normative data has nothing to do with the life of your client because we're an international company or a a international company where did i get that from international (laughs) country (laughs) where there are people from china and philippines and france right right what are we doing? Like, how can we even navigate this properly? It's such an overwhelming problem, but I want to improve your individual experience as an SLP. So what can you personally do in the space you're in? That's shitty because it's just business model and cares only about objective numbers. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? That's my focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And it's just a matter of each individual person looking at their immediate circumstances at their job and figuring out how do I how do I make this all functional so that I am as effective as possible for the people that I serve there's no again there's no cut and dry way to do this for everyone across the board every single person every single individual has to take ownership absolutely understand that absolutely So I know that you have an interview. I know that you're here to bring that interview to light. (laughs) I also know that we were halfway through this show with some clarity. (laughs) (laughs) 
well, there were, we going in, guys. Yeah, we were guns a blazing. <laughs> well, there were a few um, points that we just spoke about that um, you know my my interview also spoke about. And so, did you want me to go ahead and dig into her experience and some of the things that she shared? Absolutely would love to hear it. Okay, wonderful. So she began as a um, massage therapist. Uh, She was studying that and in her school in North Carolina found a program where she could become an SLP. Now, she did not know what an SLP was. Um, She has a brother that is handicapable. And so as a young girl, she remembers her brother receiving speech therapy service and services in the home setting and, you know, you know, sat through a bunch of sessions at, at a young age. And so, you know, once she found out about this program and um, kind of had some background information on LSVT, she had previously studied LSVT, um, uh, she decided to go for it. Uh, initially, she thought she was going to be joining the military and would end up working with adults in a more medical setting. And upon graduation, just fell in love with working with children because of her placement as um, uh, her in her externship. So, you know, one of the big things that we touched on just now was the lack of training when it comes to providing services in a group setting. You know, she shared that something that brought her a lot of anxiety once she was out in the workforce was that, you know, here she is working in the school system, uh, working with groups and a didn't really know how to do her paperwork quickly and effectively, you know, paperwork wise in the, in the, um, degree program, she would have so many hours to complete it. She would have so many revisions to, to, (laughs) to make before turning it in for a grade. And so that, she said that was one thing that just brought her a lot of anxiety in the workforce. Um, In addition to, you know, the point that we had brought up of, we are trained to work on this, to work with individuals. We're not necessarily trained to work and be effective with groups. So I found that really interesting um, that we, you and I spoke about this earlier and (laughs) it's actually something that she had mentioned and, and talked about being as being one of her big, uh, moments of miseducation. Oh my gosh, because I will not shit you. I know so many SLPs that are talking about like, I don't know how to work with groups. What do I do? Honey. Hunty, hunty, let me tell you. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, groups are not something that anybody is ever educated on because we're taught based on optimal, wonderful, idealistic settings because that's the academic environment. And that's the way accreditations occur. And accreditations come from someplace that is just fictional. Mm -hmm. It's not created based on what our clinical practice is happening today. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel for academic environments because of the fact that they are more enslaved to, and I keep saying the word slave because that is what they are. <laughs> we have to submit to whatever is the authority above us. So in the reality, academic environments are enslaved to the experience of needing to meet whatever expectations they can to hit the uh, the accreditation space. 
However, the clinical work don't look nothing like that, honey. It don't look it. It don't look it. I mm-hmm. have, I just don't have that experience where I could spend all that level of time. Now I am learning in the academic environment. It requires some slowness, some pacing, but what can we infuse to allow for the reality? Now it's supposed to be within our externships. Did you do group therapy during your externship, Ashanti? I did not. I did not. I didn't do um, a school-based externship. Mine was a private clinic. And so I, it was again, one-on-one individual. And you know what? Me neither. <laughs> oh. Me neither. I mm. did not do a single group therapy. Not for, one. In, in terms of my externships, um, I do remember my brain injury rehab center rotation that discussed groups. And I think there might have been some components of I, it just... It didn't solidify in my memory as something I experienced mm-hmm. authentically. So I just can't say that I have ever, through my graduate program, done group therapy. Right. And what would be functional, you know, as a grad student would be, we're setting up this group. This kid has this. These kids have that. How are you going to frame your session so that everyone's getting optimal um an optimal learning experience from this session. And that's just not something that we were presented with. Um, and I really want to know, are there researches, research, researches, what is happening? <laughs> research studies. <laughs> are there research studies for group therapy and its efficacy and in, in its ability to produce progress in communication and all that for pediatrics as well as adults. I know that it builds community and community is an emotional space. So there's some psychological component to it that helps me go, well, should we lend ourselves to the experience of psychology to marry what we're doing with that? Because community connection definitely develops a lot of things because of the emotional reward of it all. But do Mm -hmm. we actually show objectively how group therapy benefits our patients? Right. I don't, I don't know that that occurs. And Mm. if the studies exist, are they comparing group participants that are not working on like-minded goals, like-minded objectives? Mm -hmm. Or of different cultural backgrounds. Correct. Correct. So, you know, the solution to that, because she, she did um, at some point have a discussion with a professor about this. uh, And the professor said, He would like to see the program be a three-year program rather than a two-year program so that they can provide training for things like that. And I was just scratching my head thinking, really? You want to turn it into a three-year program? Um, It sounds good, but that's a lot more money. (laughs) As a person with student loans, I can't imagine one additional year paying graduate course, you know, or taking on loans. She did have a discussion or kind of posed that question to a professor of hers who mentioned that he, he ideally would like to see the program take three years instead of two. 
um, in order to provide more training for for more real world scenarios. And I was just thinking to myself, I don't know that I would want to do three years. I mean, yes, everyone wants more training and more education, but at the same time, for a person like myself that took on the student loans, that's another year of of student of debt, you know, to incur. And so I don't know that that's the perfect solution. Um, one other point that um, we did touch on before uh, discussing my interview here was that typically SLPs, there's one SLP to three PTs. And that was one thing that she also mentioned is that she a lot of times felt isolated. She a lot of times didn't know who to go to to ask questions or, or bounce ideas off of, or maybe there just wasn't anyone else because she was the only one. So yeah. that is another thing that it just, you know, we're all experiencing. Yes. A good portion of my career was solo dolo, baby. This is yeah. the reason. This is the reason for the intense personality because I only had myself. And if I only have myself, I am going to come with the barrels of the Haitian blood that courses through me. <laughs> and I'm going to get real mad aggressive about yeah. what, you know, what I'm doing and it's space needing to be present. Like I laid out a red carpet for myself. Like you will bow down. I was Beyonce in the room. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I have that disposition. That's not a majority or regularity. So um, I also do not have any interest in extending a graduate program that is 72 credits long. <laughs> Listen, there were times where I was like, I'm done. I know in the state of Florida, I can work with a, under a bachelor's degree for five years and then I'll figure it out. I'm quitting. <laughs> There were times where I was so ready to put, to throw in the towel. I cannot imagine another three semesters of crawling through, just trying to make it because you're just so overwhelmed with information and just, yeah, I, I can't imagine. The no, no, no. <laughs> I ain't Hell doing no. <laughs> not doing it. Not doing it. But I do value the CS. I do value the Oh, CF absolutely. Time. <laughs> Boy, the CF time, it just gives you that opportunity to really be like a resident. Like we look at residents and we're like, oh no, it's a new pool of, of, of youngies and of babies. And we know that they have learning to do. Yes. Nurses know that, therapists know that. We all know when we see a resident, like, oh, okay. So when you see CF behind SLP, you should see like, oh, you're in your you're in your infancy. That's an incredibly important space to take up, understand. But I do believe that when you get to your CF, you do have to recognize and advocate for the opportunity for yourself of being properly trained. I was not in that experience personally, but I was really self-driven to just study every single night. I do not know how to be anything other than that. It is the reason that I was explaining being a black SLP on the ASHA leader back in 2020 mm -hmm. and getting published. is It's really because I said, I cannot deal with it. It's not something that is acceptable to me to be subpar. 
Right. But I'm self-driven. Right. Are all SLPs self-driven? I don't think so. Not I think at all. We all have- <laughs> she literally was like, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Sometimes you look at your student or your CF and you're like, ooh, wow. Okay. Guess mm-hmm. I'm spoon feeding you today. <laughs> But that has a lot to do with the lack of, um, you know, culture in being critical thinkers in this environment. We should start that education from the very beginning and make it so that if you're going to stick to this, you really have to do the critical thinking that's necessary. So we don't do that. And I, I didn't hear the word critical thinking until well into my career. Mm-hmm. I heard nothing about its importance, but it's incredibly important because it requires you to take responsibility of your patient and you responsible. It's not based on just leaning into the patterns of things that are done in the past. It does require you to look at what you're dealing with in front of you and whether or not the things of the past fit. Right. So um, when I was looking at some things on social media and, you know, hearing like how much people make modifications for a cough, and I'm like, don't we normally cough? Haven't you aspirated for a second? Don't we all? <laughs> Does it not happen to us all? <laughs> Do we really need to elevate to nectar or honey thick every time we see a cough? Can we just be like, listen, maybe you need to, you know, just tough it out. Like, can you yeah. can we do that? Because that's the natural body's response. And so we need to have that. silent aspiration might have a different opinion, but you coughing? You know what? You good. You good. You good. Clear it out. Clear it out. Work it on out. Walk it out. Boy. <laughs> now walk it out. <laughs> Ashanti, you're making references oh, goodness. people may not know about. Okay. Hey, Google it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a TikTok out there that has that song. <laughs> if not, we can recreate it. We can recreate right? it. Okay. <laughs> you cough, walk it out. Walk it out. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Should we go on TikTok in this education? I don't know. We, I don't know. That's another undertaking. That's another thing on the list. <laughs> we just talked about in the last episode how I cannot do more. <laughs> so anyway, continue with this wonderful young lady's uh, story. About- yes. Well, so so back to her story. Um, basically, she worked in North Carolina for five years and ended up moving to Florida. Uh, once she reached Florida, she was burned out. She was done. She no longer wanted to be an SLP. And so she began working for a roofing company, which ended up not working out. It was not a legitimate company. Apparently, uh, there were lots of promises were made. She was not making the money that she needed. Uh, in her words, I was not able to pay my big girl bills. <laughs> so she decided to return, you know, to uh, being an SLP. Um, she entered into, uh, contract work for a school system and again, found herself just beside herself, you know, with the paperwork that she wasn't really understanding or trained for. Um, you know, one thing and another piece of miseducation that she shared was that she was never really, um, prepared for the educational realm in that, you know, some school systems require the SLP to complete a, a, um, lesson plan. That's not something we're taught. That's not something that is 
part of our coursework. And so she found herself in in another situation where she was having to constantly learn, constantly grow, constantly figure things out, ask for help, you know, ask other teachers for help. Um, So yeah, she, she loved working with children. She loved um, continuing to learn and be curious about things and seek information. But, you know, she again found herself in a situation where she was just having to not recreate the wheel, but go back to, you know, go back to the, the roots of everything. You know, let me figure this out. Let me learn as much as I can about it. So um, one other thing that, you know, when I asked her, do you feel you were educated well for the profession? You know, she shared yes, in the sense that she was presented with the breadth of the profession and was encouraged to be curious and continuously go more in depth on certain things. Um, And she compared her, her, her coursework to being thrown onto a moving treadmill. Like let's imagine the treadmill's already going four miles an hour and somebody just drops you on there and you just have to start running or you're going to fall off of it. That's how she felt. That's, you know, the very first semester in, you know, she had to take on two, two clients and, you know, learn and just do it and get it done. And every semester after that, there was more and more and more and more to do. And so she just felt like she was dropped onto that treadmill and just has not been able to stop ever since. <laughs> it was a really good visual. <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, I would have broke my neck." <laughs> right? Running is not my thing. Running is not my thing. I'll do the elliptical, but the the treadmill. No, I, I'm good. I really am not a person who runs. I do have my customary five mile walk in the morning, which mm-hmm. is. It's a, it's a healthy pace. I mean, I get to, I walk two miles uh, within 20 to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm doing okay. Like that's like a 13. Oh, okay. Police. Hello. <laughs> I'm thinking like, it's like a 13 to 12 minute mile. So I'm like, okay, for walking, I'm doing dope. <laughs> I think the idea of running just makes my ankles, my knees, my hips, and girl, my back just look. I, I was going to say, don't say back because there's a song that I could start now, and we won't, and we won't go there. That's but... not what we're going. Okay? <laughs> this is a family not... show with curse This words. is a family show. <laughs> um, no, back to, <laughs> back to her story. Another very frustrating part of her her career was the fact that there was not a lot of training in behavior modification and she shared that she's infuriated by the fact that an SLP cannot get the get their BCBA <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh we we share that in common um you know she encountered a, a client when she was doing the private um practice or I'm sorry, home, uh, home health, um, that was presenting with tons and tons and tons of behaviors. And without addressing the behaviors, she was just never going to be effective with this child. And there just wasn't any support. There mm. just wasn't any, you know, real solution. She just was encouraged to 
um, incorporate more movement or, you know, get up and move with, with this, with the child, but there was never any real science behind, okay, behavior antecedent, you know, this is how you do this is, you know, let's put this into extinction or whatnot. So that was another big piece of, um, miseducation that she felt, um, needed more attention. Mm. You should have gotten more attention in the coursework. Mm. Um, let me see here on my notes. I don't think very deeply about the level of, I don't solidify it all to the academic responsibility because Mm -hmm. our academics can only do so much. And and it varies from academic environment to academic environment. I do feel some schools are way more thorough, thorough than others. Like I feel like there is a comparison even in Florida where you're looking and you're thinking to yourself, I would rather go to this program than this program. Mm -hmm. Because what is offered for real um, is actually a better foundational framework than some of the comparisons. And you have to do a good job vetting that out. Right. Right. You can't let you can't let finances dictate where you go. A lot of a lot of students will choose the 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 program that is less expensive. No, I don't believe that. There are students that choose not to take the GRE. Oh, or, I see. I see. There are students that are like, I don't want to do this, so I'm going to go to you know a private institution that is like three yeah. or four times more. I will say I will never, ever, ever in my life regret going to the University of Central Florida because that thing was just phenomenal. I have heard things about other universities where I sit back and my eyebrows get real high on my forehead. Like, (laughs) I do not recommend that institution. Right. So knowing that, I do believe you really have to do your research. Some things are worth the price. Right, right. A proper foundation is that. And I was in almost a nearly multicultural uh, graduate program because I had Jewish people. I had the Puerto Rican. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So in wrapping up my discussion, my conversation um, with this SLP, I asked her, you know, are you happy with the decision you've made to be an SLP? And it was funny. She went, hmm, (laughs) and took a deep breath. That's funny. Or is that normal? I think it's normal. It's funny normal. (laughs) Because I feel like we all take a step back and take a beat to really analyze our choices, how we feel about it, you know, etc. She feels like speech language pathology took a piece of everything that she was interested in and loved doing, and it's setting her on the right path. Um, she's still a practicing SLP and plans to continue doing this, but is now entering into a different realm of her career where she's becoming a small business owner. And um, she's uh, ventured into a company called Kinder Music and is, you know, just setting herself up to to have her her um, her storefront, get her program going. So, you know, she's really 
excited and really happy to apply everything that she knows, all the knowledge that she has and the experiences that she has has had into her small business. Um, but yeah, that's that's her nice pivot. She's doing a again? really nice. I, I'm saying she's doing a really nice pivot. She's taken everything that speech language pathology offers, and she's decided to take advantage of that offering and create something, which is what a lot of what I'm talking about in regards to what are the options available for SLPs is the important thing. What are you doing to collect everything you've been given from this career? Because God knows if you've even been in it for a year, the tools (laughs) you have in your belt are significant. You Mm -hmm. literally can do so much. That master's degree is probably the most valuable thing that I have in my life. Mm -hmm. Even if I do not do clinical practice. And that's what SLPs do not acknowledge. Right. And I am glad she is owning that for herself, recognizing that for herself and saying, I have a full education I can figure out what I want to do within it. And I do not need to ask anyone permission or ask for any additional training or any of that. I get to do what I want. Now, it just depends on you as an individual. How are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. Ashanti, I'm still waiting on how you're going to do it, girl. Because you're still in the the school. You know, me and I are like, peace, we out. You you marinating, girl. <laughs> but but there have been some major moves, and I think we'll have to save that for another episode. <laughs> oh, damn it! What can we just talk about it right now? Listen, <laughs> you still here with us? Just accept the fact that we're going over because Ashanti is here. <laughs> well, basically, you know, I just. If you recall many, many episodes ago, I discussed how much I was making that was laughable for my level of experience. And um, I I didn't give them an ultimatum. I just presented them with the option of I would I'm interested in pivoting this way to make more money. And I was kind of met with, no, you'll have to wait till the school year ends. And I said, okay, bye. (laughs) And once they realized, wait a minute, she's serious. We're going to lose her. There was some more discussion. So we'll, we'll leave it at that because, you know, nothing is finalized just yet. Um, Know your worth. Know your worth. (laughs) So yeah, some, some changes are in the the waters have changed. (laughs) They're going a different direction. So. Let it be washing over you as you know that Ooh, you are. Let it rain. Girl. <laughs> okay. I watched Sorry. a little, I'm not even going to lie. I watched a little like video the, um, today that was a woman that's like, oh, this is how we act when the money starts flowing. Okay. I see. I see all of that. Okay. I see all of that. But the money starts flowing when you realize your value. Right. When you realize your contribution, when you realize what you're doing. Now, none of us are ballers. We're not sitting here going, oh my gosh, let me Beyonce out. Let me Kelly Rowland this shit. Like we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. However, there is a fantastic livable wage known as 
significant increases between 40 and appropriately numbered, you know, thousands of dollars I'm receiving a year. 40 is just not it. I've worked too long to right. be 40, to be in the 40 bracket. I just can't. I can't. I don't care if I work for five months. Hell to the no, no, no. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I think for me, I require a really appropriate uh, cost to benefit ratio with my value at this point in my life. So I've pushed to achieve that. And every SLP needs to do that. If you're early in the experience, however, I want you to also understand you're valuable too, because you're the only person with the master's degree in that room in speech language pathology. You need to recognize that that is a valuable asset. And so we give you this advice for the aspects of shirking imposter syndrome, which I think is just ridiculous. You do know more than anyone else. So why not just own that? If you don't know everything that you need to know, of course not, but own what you are and understand that you have the capacity to improve as long as you continue to work hard. But I feel ultimately we are here to recognize our value as SLPs, even if no one else does, and challenge the system to recognize it too. Right. And Ashanti did that shit. <laughs> challenge the system, y'all. Yes. It's uncomfortable. Now, it's uncomfortable mm. as hell. It will give you anxiety. It's going to get, listen, it's going to give you heart burn okay do it no that's not my problem just do it challenge the system (laughs) that's not my problem my problem is more like how well can i deal with the consequences of challenging the system i don't mind challenging i have a problem with the consequences of it this is true too yeah (laughs) but i always as i said make the best of what I have in front of me. I would rather challenge and be uncomfortable about the consequences than not challenge and live in the certainty that this is never going to change. Right. Right. And, and, you know, that just feeds the burnout that feeds just the being discontent. Nobody wants to spend a lifetime in a, in a career where they're just not content ever. So we encourage you know your worth, challenge the system. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do it. So as we conclude this episode, I want you all to understand that I would love for you to email us at the miseducated SLP at gmail.com. Come hit us up at, you know, the miseducated SLP on Facebook. The podcast page is there. And of course our Instagram is available for you know dms comments whatever you want to do but in reality i just want you to keep showing up and to consider these thoughts and to consider these ideas and to take them to the next level because as much as we're putting it out there i hope people are actually doing something with it so it is more important to me that you understand this information and apply it yes. and give it some breath. It's important to do that. Amen. 
Anyway, so we're going to sign off. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's overextended, but we did what we could. You know, we just living here, just great. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> All right, guys. Have until next time.